Welcome. I think I know everybody, but if I haven't, uh, my name's Nancy. I'm the pastor here at Searchlight Fellowship, or the senior pastor at Searchlight Fellowship, not the only pastor. And um, tonight I want to talk about when should you trust. Have you ever had difficulty with figuring that out? Has it ever been confusing about when to trust, when not to trust? Have you ever felt bad about not trusting somebody? You know, it's funny. It was an area of my life that I was so confused by for so many years. And I would say um, I was pretty foolish often in, in trusting people that were very, very not trustworthy and got really hurt um, a lot in the process of that. And I feel so much more peace in this part of my life uh, because I think that I have, a, you know, um, it's funny that it was plain in Scripture all along, but somehow I was, like, too blind to see it probably because um, just blindness in my own heart. You know, there's some things that you're just not ready to see or ready to look at, and, um, and that was definitely one of them. And so right now what we're doing is we're in a section in Corinthians um, where we're going through the church epistles uh, a series called Love Letters to the Church. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4, if you want to turn there. And since we're going through the scripture kind of in order of how it's written, um, I've kind of been looking at it and thinking, what's, what would be the main through line here? One of the, one of the things... It would be the main through line, and some of the, it definitely talks about a number of things in this section of scripture, in these couple of chapters that we're going to be covering, but <clears throat> I was thinking about it specifically and how it starts, that, um, that the Bible is actually very, very clear as far as what trust should look like, and if you go to 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, I'm going to be flipping back and forth because I was looking at the, I'm, I actually grew up on the King James version of the Bible, so it's kind of the version that I'm the most familiar with, and, and so as I was looking at the differences between the NIV and the King James, I feel like there's actually more clarity in a lot of ways on these scriptures in the King James version, even though it's in Old English. Um, so I'm going to be, in some of, some of the places that I feel might not be as clear in the NIV, I'm going to be switching back. So, uh, but we'll start off in NIV because I think that's what most people have here. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, it says, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and of those, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, when it's there's a few things here. Um, it's the Apostle Paul uh, was, wrote this uh, book of the Bible uh, by inspiration of God, and it says, it says that, that people should look at, you know, us, um, the apostles, as, as servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the secret things of God. So, and the secret things of God are kind of um, in, like what that, that word means. It's kind of the deeper meanings of scripture, the kind of things that maybe the first cursory glance of scripture you might not see, you know. It's, it's something that 
by faithfulness and study and spending time in the scripture that those things become clear. Uh, and part of that, honestly, part of understanding scripture has to come, comes by having a context of it, of the whole of scripture. A lot of times what people do with the Bible is they take verses of scripture out of context. So as you learn and grow, this is one of the reasons why it's really valuable to spend time in the scripture and to read it so that you can get a sense of what the whole of the Bible is. It's easier to understand things when you understand all of what's written as opposed to sometimes things and even the things that are in this section can be like if you take them out of context of the other things written, it can sound very, very different. So it says in verse 2, and this is... um, because it talks about them being entrusted with the secret things of God. In verse 2 it says, Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now, we could spend a lot of time on that verse. Now, what's the basis of trusting somebody? What, what has been the basis of trusting somebody before in the past? What can you think about? You ever thought that you owed somebody their trust up front? You don't know them. You don't know anything. Has anybody ever guilted you or shamed you about not trusting them? You know? said, what's the matter? Don't you trust me? You ever gotten that kind of thing? The Bible says that the principle here is it's required that those who have been given a trust must what? Two words. Prove faithful. Now, how do you be, how, how would you prove faithful? What would you think? What would that look like? What would it look like to prove faithful? What do you think of when you think of the word faithful? Loyalty, integrity, true to yourself, trustworthy, honest. I'm going to read, I'm going to read some of the things of the definition of this. Because faithful really means true to one's word, which means when you say something, it's the real deal. You're not saying things that aren't true. If you say th- something, people can count on it for, for what you're saying to be legitimate, to be valid. So it's true to one's word, also true to one's promises. How much have, have you know, if you look at, at trustworthiness or faithfulness, the idea of that, of people that don't keep promises, you know, or how much have you been hurt by people that have not kept their promises to you? You know, and or true to one's vows. So some of those, those are some of the elements of what it is to be faithful. And it also, it talks about being constant and it implies stability and dependability. It also mean it also talks about consistency, to be reliable and to be truthful. So those are elements of what it is to be faithful. So you think about the fact that if you are to give trust, the person you're giving the trust to, that's what that should look like. So can you, is it, is it a good idea based on that? Oh, and here's the other part of it. It's not just faithful, but must, must prove faithful. What does it mean to prove? Think about that. As far as what, what is it, what would it look like to prove faithful? 
Yeah, evidence. Yeah, evidence. And specifically, it, ta- it like one of the definitions for prove that I think fits pretty well is to be found out by experience or by trial. So it takes, it takes time. There's no way that you would have any idea whether somebody or something or someone or even God would be faithful unless you have experienced the trustworthiness or the faithfulness over a period of time. You know, you can predict what's going to happen in the future based on what the patterns have been in the past. You know, unless there's something, like I know because it's really interesting because I think about myself, I was a really, really not faithful or trustworthy person for most of my life, I would say. But if you asked me, I would tell you I was trustworthy. I would tell you I was honest. And I would really believe it. I really thought I was an honest, trustworthy person. I was absolutely unaware of how deceptive I was in my life. It was so ingrained. You know, I I was kind of raised in a family where, you know, my parents would just go, just tell them that. Just say that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that was normal. That wasn't considered lying. That was just called solving a problem. You know, you want to fix it? Just, just tell them this. Totally not the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it was so a part of my life. I didn't, you know, you know what my criteria for honest was is just, like, that I didn't really mean to hurt anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just sort of like, you know, I don't mean anything bad by it. You know, I'm not trying to be... You know, in my brain, it was just sort of like there was no ill intention in some... I wasn't aware of any ill intention. I shouldn't say there wasn't any ill intention. But it was... For me, it was just a matter of survival, you know, and just trying to... Well, part of this is just not trusting God that he's going to take care of me and provide for me and meet my needs and things like that. It was also that have, you know... Um, just being scared because it seemed like telling the truth sometimes had really hard qu- consequences that I didn't have to deal with. So I got into this method of survival that I just didn't know for a long time. So I would say, gosh, that I was somebody that was the opposite of somebody that I, I could prove I was not faithful, you know, if you looked at my life. But I would expect people to trust me. I would think that it would be crazy that they didn't trust me. Um, but now it's kind of interesting because as I started making those changes in my life, it was kind of it was a couple of wake up calls that got me to go, "Wow, I'm just scammy, you know. I'm just a little operator, you know. I was just sort of like uh, I was just sort of shocking. I got found out a couple times, you know, and it was really humiliating and embarrassing, and it was shocking for me to see the truth because when people let you get by with things, you don't really see it, you know. Like if you can stay hidden, you don't even see it yourself, and that's kind of how I existed for so long. But when it came out, it's kind of like it's something I had to look at, and it was ugly. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was just like, you know, um, I was so scammy. I, I think I told I told most of you guys a story before that. Were, this was actually probably my big beginning wake up call. Was um, I was working for a company and um, I wanted to win a contest so bad, and um, I was just panicked that maybe I might not win it. And it was about signing, you know, uh, 
signing these advertising agreements and this one person that's a good friend of mine that I hadn't gotten out to their place of business and I was like, oh, they're going to, I knew that they were going to sign up because they'd already told me. I was just like, I'll just sign their name on this. Somebody saw me and reported that. And I was fired in a way that the whole office knew I had done this. And it was, at the time I did it, I thought it was no big deal. I'm like, they're going to sign it anyway, not a big deal. Like, I just want to make sure I'd win. Not only was that, you know what, the irony of all this is I was going to win the contest anyway. I didn't know it. I just panicked that I didn't. It was one contract, and I was just like, panicked. And uh, instead of winning the big trip I would have won anyway, I wound up getting fired and walking out. And I felt just ashamed and embarrassed. And I was a Christian, so I was telling everybody I was a Christian. So I, I brought shame to, to God. That was really embarrassing because everybody knew I was a Christian. I'm like, wow, I'm just giving Christ a bad reputation. You know, I was. It just it was, it felt awful um, that everybody knew that about me. And I just remember, like, walking through there and everybody staring at me and carrying my stuff and like the my best friend there that I'd hung out with and stopped returning my calls it was just and I got to that place where that was that was probably the number one big wake-up call of just saying that I wanted to make a change and be more honest and that was sort of the beginning of that journey um, and then there was another time, you know, later on that I saw that I wasn't even as honest as I thought, even in my attempt to be honest, I was still, had a lot more cleaning up to do as far as cleaning house goes. So, um, where I made a commitment to that. Now, I think in that process that I really got for myself, that I wasn't, it was a great thing for me to see that I wasn't trustworthy, you know, that I wasn't faithful. And I really, it became something that mattered so much to me to be the kind of person that was honorable and that had integrity. That I wanted to be somebody that was worthy to be trusted, you know. And I knew that it would take time. You know, I knew that until I had established other patterns, you know, that I wasn't a different person. And so even though, I mean, I've got a really terrible past, you know, it's bad. But, the, but, you know, Adam would have been totally crazy to have married me back in the day. You know, I mean, he would have had something really wrong with him to be attracted to me back then. But he didn't meet me back then, thankfully. So, you know, he met me. He knew my past. But he knew that I had had then established a different pattern of being trustworthy and, and, um, uh, and being faithful over a period of, of a few years where I had established different patterns. So it's not like you can't change. You can change. But it t the only way you're going to know that the change is real is if it's sustained. You don't change one day and go, don't you trust me? I've changed. I made a commitment. I said I'm going to stop it. You know? I mean, that's just, it doesn't follow this pattern of proving faithful. If we keep this in mind, now, it's funny because people are trustworthy in one area and not in, in others. Sometimes people are, you know, trustworthy, like you could trust them not to, you know, cheat as far as committing adultery or things like that. You could trust them on that, but can't trust them with money. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's areas like that where we want to get to the place that we become people that are trustworthy in all parts of our life, but also that we're aware of the fact that if we're giving trust to somebody... We're not giving things that this pr trust to somebody that doesn't have a history of being trustworthy in that arena of their life. That's how we keep our hearts safe. Um, 
So it says, it's required of those that have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now, I want to actually, it's kind of funny because the difference, it sounds very different in NIV versus uh, King James and some, some of the other verses. Um, in verse 3, in the King James, it says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. So it's kind of interesting that we have a few things here. Is that he's saying it's, it's that it, it's a small thing to me that you should judge me. You know, now you could take this different way. It's kind of interesting because the wording in NIV says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Um, I think it's kind of a thing where he's speaking in a lot of the context of this. I'm teaching this kind of two ways because he's speaking a lot in this about being a minister and the responsibility of somebody that's a minister that should be faithful, that should have. A minister should be somebody that the character, it's not just to me. I mean, this is my belief anyway. And it's in the scripture, it's not just that you went to school someplace, but that your character shows through and that that's been found faithful. Um, but, it, but the thing is, is that, and you'll see that this doesn't mean, it's saying, okay, I, it's not a big deal to me that you would judge me, or, or of any man's judgment, yay, I don't even judge my own self. And it's funny because there's, we'll see different nuances of this, but it says, ultimately, it's the Lord that's the judge. If you were trying to be the judge of yourself without any input, how accurate do you think you'd be? You know, I, I'm telling you, I need feedback all the time. You know, if I'm not getting feedback from other people, I spiral into a very strange direction. I've done it before. I will do it again. You know, I need people to tell me when I'm getting out of whack. Even today, I was talking to Marta. She was, um, she was great. She was, um, I like, she keeps me in check. So I was like, uh, we, I told somebody I was going to send them a bottle of wine in Utah. And all of a sudden it got really, got all this involvement in trying to send this wine. And there's all these rules and you can't send the wine you want. And you can't have any store send it. And then you have to send it to the state store. And then the person has to pick it up. It's just, it, yeah, it's really involved. So I was just like, hey, I know, we'll just send it. Instead of going through a store. And she goes, oh, no. I'm like, well, why not? Come on, it's ridiculous. Like, you can't, like this is ridiculous. Like, I'm going to make the person I'm sending it to go to the store, blah, 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 and they can't, I can't pick what I want. And it's some lousy things. And she's like, mmm. <laughs> and so I was like, what? And then I thought, and I was like, oh, thanks, Marta. Thanks for speaking up about that. You know, she was sort of like, because I, I was thinking, well, what are they going to do about it? You know, just, they'll just send it back. What's the big deal? <laughs> so this is a stupid law. But it's just sort of like, you want to be in a place where people are speaking up and giving you feedback. It's interesting. So that that's where, and you'll see this as we go, that this doesn't mean that no person speaks to you and it's only God. Because if it's only God, guess what? Have you ever had somebody go, well, I, I, I just, God says I'm fine, and they're not fine? You know people like that, right? You know, you're just like, wow, you are so out there. But all of a sudden you're saying God tell, says you're fine. Who are you to argue with God? So it's kind of like God is the ultimate judge. But if there's not mirrors, if you're not getting other people that are 
kind of reflecting back, that are walking with God, that have feedback or whatever, then I, it, 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 it's not that much different than saying that you're judging yourself. I just answer to myself. You know, you can do that, but you're going to wind up getting a little off course. Okay. Um, it says, therefore, the, uh, and then it says, he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring it to light, will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have the praise of God. And I think this is too, I think, and we'll see is, because this goes on about how the judging works, is I think that we want to hold things lightly. If we act like we're the authority, I think you, you set yourself up for some trouble. You know, I think there has to be like a sense of we're all seeking God, we're trying to see what God says, but if you're so, thus saith the Lord, this is this, you know, and trying to tell everybody else what they ought to be doing or whatever, you know, and in that, it's just sort of like, it's, it's um, we'll see actually as it keeps going, to have the sense that one day we're going to be before the Lord and we'll probably find out a few things, you know. Um, okay. Uh, and then it says, because um, God ultimately is going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness. You know what God does too? Have you ever noticed that God brings to light the hidden things of darkness even now? You know, in uh, Cloud and Townsend's work, they say what's really awesome is unsafe people reveal themselves over time. You can be scammy and all that, but I'm telling you, I couldn't hide out forever. Nobody gets to hide out forever. It will get revealed, you know? So you, there's safety in that, and that fits, too, with the trust and trustworthiness because if you're giving out trust based on a time period of faithfulness, it's over the time that you're going, wow, okay, this person's still standing up, you know? But if we're hasty in that, do you know what I'm saying? You know, it's just sort of like you got to get that sometimes building... Building habits, building different behaviors, things like that take time, whatever they might be. But God will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then every man shall have the praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred myself, uh, tra transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, it says, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that none of you be puffed up for one against another. And part of this, and you really see the context of it, is, and again, this is a reproof epistle, where you see a lot of arrogance, and you see a lot of people kind of, you know, and particularly he's saying, like, they're apostles, they're entrusted of God, but if you come off with, I've got the authority, I'm the minister of this church, I'll tell you, you know, it's just not a good place to be. You know, we're all people that are learning to walk with God. None of us can come or have the heart or the attitude of, that's it, I got the answer, thus saith the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? That's why even when we do prophecy, we don't do prophecy going, the Lord said absolutely, thusly, blah, blah, blah. I had somebody, I had somebody come up to me, I, you know, because this happens, right? She was just like, her life was a mess. It was such a disaster. She said she was a prophet. The Lord told her she's a prophet. She gave me a prophecy, 
I said, this is it, and you need to listen. The Lord said you need to listen. I'm like, wow. You have no, no training. You have not walked this out. Your life's a mess, but you're going to. And she was really upset that I was not absolutely obedient to what she told me in her prophecy. I'm like, this, you know, this is just not a place any of us should be. You know, it's just we're people. We make mistakes. It's like if we're looking at people and trying to, you know, it's the Lord is the judge here, you know. And so it's just sort of like, so he's saying that none of you be puffed up for one against another. For who makes thee to differ other from another? <laughs> and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? It's so you ha- we have no place to be arrogant because everything we got, we got from God anyway. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? So there's just what we're seeing a lot is a lot of boasting, a lot of arrogance, a lot of self-reliance in the name of God. Um, It says, now you are full, now you're rich, you have reigned as kings without us. I would to God you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as if as it were appointed to death as we were made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men now and we're going to kind of go in the context of this i'm not sure maybe it is easier for the rest of this to read the sorry i'm used to king james um here we go maybe we can go what verse was that oh 10 something like that 9 10 so it's like uh, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands, but when we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuge, refuse of the world. So, what he's talking about, this is, a, this is a, a, a perspective of a minister of going last. You're last at the table. It's okay if people talk crap about you. Do you know what I'm saying? You, you're willing to take it. It's okay that you get the end of the, the line because it's worth it to serve. Where you give, 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 and you're not always getting back. That, that, that's, he's coming from that place of just going... In fact, even in this, it's kind of interesting, like he's talking about we're fools and you're wise. Even in that, I think about ministering sometime of where a lot of times as a minister, the most useful thing I've found, I grow a lot when I'm ministering to people because I'm always trying to look at what's up with me, you know, and sharing that. Because a lot of times people are like, it's... It makes it safer because if I can share about my darker things and about what I'm struggling with and that I'm not God on a stick kind of person, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, where it's just like, oh, I guess I can look at that too, you know? So it's not always that, I, that I've got to come across as like, I've got the answers and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's important for people to go, oh, I don't have all the answers. I don't. I'm struggling. I'm in this. I'm, you know, I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm figuring things out, I get confused, you know, all of those things that we're all, we really are all in this together, you know. Um, It says, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children that even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, 
or it's actually instructors, and I'll even like that better. It's instructors. Instructors or teachers in Christ. You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And I think, in the context, what's the difference between a teacher and a father? An instructor and a father. What do you see? He's saying, you have lots of people that will give you teachings, but I'm your father. Yeah. And what else? There's an intimacy. There's a closeness. There's, and then he's talking about imitate me. So <clears throat> this is talking about relationship. Lots of people can get up and teach the Bible at a distance. You know, I'll tell you what to do. Let me tell you how to do it. He's saying lots of people can do that for you. He's saying, but he, he's just talking about being in the trenches and being there to serve people so that his life has been open and he's been involved and invested and had relationship that people can see him, see the struggles, see all of that. And people can go, oh, I know how to do that. If as a minister you're acting like God on a stick, who can follow that? Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you do with that? Let me tell you, it's all great. I got all the answers. I'm fine. Let me tell you how it's done. I walk perfectly. Okay, how do I follow that one? You know, if you're talking about being imitators, a lot of this is how do you imitate where people can see your life in a way that the struggles, the battles, things like that, and how you walk through all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> it says... Therefore, okay, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Timothy's a young, young guy that he raised that was his spiritual son in the Lord, um, a young man. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ, not just the teachings. Because honestly, like that's, you know, that's that distant thing, but uh, how I live my life, it says, in Christ Jesus, with which agrees with everything, with everywhere in every church. Agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Should I come with you or a whip or in love or with a gentle spirit? So he's talking, there's definitely an issue with a lot of arrogance and pride in this, and then it gets worse. It's a reproof epistle. Um, 1 Corinthians 5.1. Again, you know, it's kind of interesting. I just really, um, I just feel like the King James is clearer on this. It's, it's more similar to the Greek. Um, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have uh, his father's wife. So, and I guess, well, the NIV, it's, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has had his father's wife. So it's probably a stepmom, I'm thinking, but still not great. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a problem. You're having sex with your father's wife, you know, it's indicative, I mean, it's indicative of a lot of things. To get to the place that that would be okay with you, you know, there has to be a callousness. And specifically, it says, it says, um, and you're puffed up, and that you're, basically, they were prideful about it. They're boasting about this. You know, in the context of, we're so free in Christ, we could do whatever, like, wow, you know? 
It says, and have not rather mourned. It's like you should be sad about this. You should not be bragging your church is so free. People are having sex with their stepmothers. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of a duh, I would think, but this is going on. You know what I mean? Like, so he's saying the issue, it's not people have sinned. People do things. But the issue is that they're promoting this, that this is like a good thing. Instead of having sorrow about that that's what's going on. And, and it was rampant. It's not just this one person. It's just sort of like what happened, in, as we're seeing it, is it gets to be like that that's what's taught, that that's what is, you know, normalized. There's a difference between grace and license. Grace is that you're loved no matter what. License is saying that, that it's, you know, that it's good, you know, that it, you're endorsing behavior that is hurtful, that you're advocating it. You're saying it's okay, good, profitable. Uh, there's a total difference there. That he that hath, hath done this uh, deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in my body but present in my spirit, or I verily, sorry, as absent in my body but present in my spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. So again, we can't say that when he says, uh, like, it's a small thing for me to be judged of people. Here he's saying he's judging a matter where he's not even present. So it can't be that there's something wrong for saying, for looking and going, oh, I'm making a judgment that this is not a good thing. We are called to be discerning. You can't have, it's not going to work for you to have no opinion about what works and what doesn't work. It's all good. Whatever you do is good. Is ped, you know, pedophiles, good. Do you know what I mean? I mean, at some point, people are okay with that. Whatever you feel like is good, you know? So it's like, it's okay. All of us in our own seeking have to come to the place of what we advocate or don't advocate. It says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that is, the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Actually, let me read it, go back to the, sorry, I keep going back and forth. Um, in, I'll go back to verse 5. Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, that sounds intense, right? Let me actually give you some, uh, some of what this is um, talking about. Handing somebody over to Satan. It's, if you think about this in the context of Satan is the god of this world. This is not, when you're saying hand somebody over to Satan, it's not like a curse, like a witchcraft thing, like Satan can have you. You know, I, I don't believe that. I believe that what it is, because if you look at this, that he will be saved, because look at what it's saying. It's saying so that, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed. So, what happens, and this is a really good principle, too, that, comes, that we're going to kind of move into a little bit. This is extreme stuff. As far as trust and trustworthiness. But have you ever been in a situation where somebody's behavior doesn't change because you're enabling it? 
if somebody's doing crazy stuff and you're just taking care of it and putting out all the fires and making sure that they don't suffer as a result and running around and, oh, what can I do for you? What can, you know, it happens a lot with addiction things. It's called enabling. You think you're blessing somebody to try and make everything okay that they're doing and, and to not say anything to them and we got to be nice, don't say that you think this is not you know, a problem, that kind of thing. Sometimes you, it's, when you talk about, like in this, if the church was coddling this, is advocating like this behavior, even boasting about it, as opposed to just going, you know what, you do this, not, not here. You know, this is, have fun. Go, go places where they like that kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like, if people... And this is extreme stuff. It's not like, you know, but it's basically saying, let them go out in the world. It's sowing and reaping. If you, and again, Cloud and Townsend talk about this, there's a law of sowing and reaping. What you plant, you reap. If you interrupt that process where you stop people from reaping what they're doing, do you know what I'm saying? You, you cushion it to bail them out. You know, somebody's doing stuff, they're not getting the consequences, and you're constantly bailing them out. There's not going to be any change. That person will not change. I can guarantee you that they will stay where they're at. You know, it's, it's only in, like me, with getting fired from that job, it's in those times that it got revealed that I am so thankful for that moment. It was a painful moment. It was, not, it was one of my lowest lows, and I have a few of them, but I'm telling you, every big low in my life was the catalyst for change because the pain of not changing was so great that it, because change hurts, right? It's not comfortable. Anybody tried to make big changes in your life? It is not comfortable. So the only time we change is when the cost of not changing is greater and the pain is greater than, what, than, the, than the pain it takes to change. I believe in my heart that this is what it's talking about, of just going... You know, let them see how that is out there, and you know, in the world, kind of thing. Um, that that his sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. It's talking about. Don't you know? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast, that you might be a new batch without the yeast, as you really are. For Christ our Passover land has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, not with the yeast of malice and wickedness, but the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now, we don't, probably we don't, do you have any bread bakers here? <laughs> Back in the day, people used to know a lot about yeast. You know, yeast was used often. These days, nobody makes bread. Um, <laughs> it's done for you in the store and comes out in little packages and... And we don't even know how, what the process is to get it there. But basically, it, it was something that in, in these biblical times was a very vivid illustration of the fact that a little yeast affects the whole loaf. And what it's saying, and then it says, um, oh, well, I guess it continues with this. Um, in verse 9, I have written you in my letter not to, it says, associate with sexually immoral people. Now, and again, if you look up as far as associate um, with sexually immoral people, um, 
that associate is actually the word for be intimate, not necessarily sexual, you know, but just an intimate relationship. And sexually immoral is actually the word uh, pornos for prostitute. So it's just, or it's really kind of talking about, the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked together, you know, with, um, with unbelievers. But we'll see in this verse, it, this is not saying don't talk to anybody that sins. That's insanity. We can't live like that, you know. Um, it's not good to live like that. But to a certain degree, the company we keep influences us depending upon how deep and intimate the relationship is. The people that we are using for our confidence, for our support system, it makes a huge difference. If you're getting your help and support from people that are destructive and hurtful, they're going to take you down. You know, you're an alcoholic, don't hang out with other alcoholics if you're trying to get sober. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, that's what it's talking about as far as the yeast and the influence of who we are choosing for our inner circle people. It's not talking about taking yourself out of the world because it says right here in verse 10, it says not at all or altogether meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. The Bible does not want us to be insular little cult weird people that don't associate. You should not only have church friends. That's weird. If you only talk to church people, you're going to turn into a weird person. <laughs> ah, that's my opinion. You know, that was never God's intention. There's a difference between having people that are not safe support people in your inner circle versus... Oh, I can't talk to you. You're, you know, you're a prostitute. Stay away from me or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not, you know, Jesus ate with the worst of the worst. If Jesus did it, I, I think it's probably going to be okay. It's my guess, you know, because he lived without sin. So, and plus, how are we going to be there to help people or be representatives of Jesus and spread his love if we stay away from the rest of the world and not, you know, not care about people that are hurting or any of that stuff. That, that's weird. Okay. It says, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate, which is also that same word for be intimate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Um, again, it, it's kind of different too because in, um, uh, as far as like, this is all talking about having close, intimate relationships with people that are going to be destructive and hurtful. Because in your life, you want to look at who are you influencing? Are you taking them along on your healing journey, or are they taking you along on their destruction journey? That's, we well, got to feel, figure out where the yeast is in this. Do you know what I mean? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? It, again, another thing. It's crazy for is he saying I'm. We're in, it is of zero profit to sit around and try and tell people that that have no interest in growing that are out there in the world how they should run their lives. It's just judgmental. There's no profit in it. Look at you. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, you sinner, sinner, sinner. 
that kind of thing. It's like we're not there. As it says, there's a great book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Cried through the whole thing. Really juicy book. You want to cry a lot and, you know, see God's love in a bigger way. Read that. And he talks about we are not called to be exterminators of sin, to go around the world and see wrongdoings and let's rid the world of sin. Really? You know, we're little the police, the moral police of the world. That's insanity. It says that we are called to be, the verse says, dispensers of grace. You ever seen a dispenser, like a little great, like perfume, the little perfume atomizer things that those are kind of old school too, you know, where, where it's just like we're, we're, we should go poof, little grace. That's what we should be spreading, you know, out there. So it says, yes, we're not called to judge, to police the world, be the moral police for the world. It says, God will judge them outside. Um, oh, wait, wait. What business is mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? People that are coming, and again, we think of the word judges being judgmental, that kind of thing. There's a difference in really the sense of being discerning about things. If people are coming into the environment to say, I want to learn, I want to grow, it's good to speak up. It helps people to grow, like Marta helping me today. You should be speaking up to one another to help. To, it says that we are to spur one another on to love and good work. Spurs don't feel great, right? Have you ever seen spurs? Those little things on cow, you know, and the horse goes, ow, you know? Sometimes spurs, it's not like a feel-good thing, but we are to spur one another on to love and good works. So in that... We can have the role of speaking and helping. Again, we don't run people's lives. People still get to choose. People still have free will. You know, we are not the moral police of trying to run everybody's life either, but there's a difference in being there where we can speak the truth in love and help one another to grow. And then it says, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And I want to look at that verse too because the word wicko... Uh, wicked is porneros, which means uh, full labors, annoyance, peril, causing pain and trouble, ethically bad. So wicked is kind of, sometimes we think of that in kind of a more simplistic way. But if you think about it, that sometimes it's, sometimes we've got to cut relationships, it's only in the most extreme measure. It's not something we should be making a practice of because the Bible talks about as much as lies within us to live peaceably among all men. We do the best we can to fight for relationship, but we want to limit and set boundaries to the influence that people have in our lives and to how much we are letting them into our lives, especially if there's things that we're struggling with to choose the company, especially the closest company that we keep. There are times, as it's talking about this, where you've got somebody in the church that's advocating and teaching something that's getting people off track. That's an extreme situation, mind you. But the, the idea is that there are times that, we, that you might need to, if somebody is unwilling, closed off, and promoting a different agenda, and it's in a way that's hurtful. It talks about hurtful, causing pain, trouble, things like that, ethically bad. It might be time to just go, you know what? Got to step away, you know? 
But that's last resort. It's not like we're bolting from everybody. You know, we try to stay in relationship and try to stay close and connected to people as best we can. But sometimes you've got to take a little bit of a step back. So in looking at this, God's heart it's really kind of cool that God talks about this as far as trust and trustworthiness. I feel like I have so much more peace because I feel like right now I'm aware of when I'm giving trust out and I'm being deliberate about it. I know when I'm taking risks. I still take risks with people, but they're risks that I know that I'm taking. That I might say, you know what, I'm going to give somebody some trust, but I, I'm, my heart is prepared. If they break that trust, I'm going to be okay with it. I'm not going into things like I used to accidentally, where I'm giving people the free pass. You know, we talk about in the dating workshop, as far as your heart, it says guard your heart with all diligence. You know, we would not give our ATM number to somebody we just met, our PIN number, right? You met them today, you give them your ATM PIN number. So why is it that we think our heart is any less precious? That we give people the key, just met them, don't know anything. Even sometimes we've given our heart to people that we know have a bad history that are untrustworthy. But somehow they're going to magically be better, you know, with us. So we want to be in a place because it's good for us and good for them. We are not trying to hurt anybody. It's actually better to not give trust away. If you give trust away to people that are not trustworthy, you're enabling them. It, it, they're, you're... you're helping them avoid the consequence of their behavior and, they w and, and making it nice and cushiony so that they don't change. So the loving thing to do for you and for them, because God, with every answer of God, it's win-win for both people. There's not one situation that I can think about that if it's the way that God wants it to be handled, both people in the end will get blessed. doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. Or that, you know, but in the end, it will be the very best, most beneficial possible thing for people's healing, growth, and for the big picture of deliverance in their lives. Because that's who God is, because God is love. God is love in every single category. So, uh, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you don't, you don't even demand trust from us. You know, you even allow yourself to prove. Now, you, you know, you're as trustworthy as they come, but you still, even in, you know, like you say about the giving, you know, that, that we can test you out, it says in Malachi, that you're faithful, that if we give, that you are faithful in multiplying back to us and providing for us. I love that you even allow us to have those doubts, but that we can test you out by giving amounts of trust and see that you are trustworthy and that you are faithful. Help us, Lord, in this time and in, in growing in you to become more faithful people ourselves and to be more aware and clear um, in our relationship with others, too, that we can make loving decisions for ourselves uh, as well as other people, Lord. I'm so thankful for your incredible love and that you always fight for relationship and for healing. Um, and I ask you to bless this offering in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.